God is in the house tonight, amen. Woo! I love it when he turns up. Do you know, Pastor Mike preached an awesome message this morning. How have you, many of you here this, tonight were here this morning? Didn't we hear an awesome message? Pastor Mike preached an amazing word. He preached about breaking free of shame. And I'm so glad that tonight I can stand before you. You better look out because I've had shame broken off my life this morning and you don't know what might happen. Amen. I'm going to be me tonight, so you better look out. Do you know the best thing about this morning was God came. God came this morning, and I just know he's here again tonight. He wants us to break through the pain barrier that stands in the midst of our life. So I have a message for you tonight about breaking the pain barrier. Because when we push through the pain barrier, do you know what happens? When we push through every barrier of pain in our lives, we become successful. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a successful woman of God. Do you want to be successful men and women? You know, no matter what potential an athlete has, their success is limited unless they learn how to break through the pain barrier. I've never run a marathon, but I believe there's this thing they call the wall. Who's heard of the wall? You hit the wall, I think. I think it's around 20, 22 Ks. I don't know. I've never made it that far. But around 20, 22 Ks, anybody who is running a marathon hits the wall. And it's a wall of pain. And the only, you know, one of two things, I guess, happens when an athlete hits that wall. Either they allow the pain to take them out of the race. Or they kick the wall down. Hallelujah. Tonight we're going to kick that pain barrier down. And this is how we're going to do it. We're going to take a look at five ways that uh, we can respond to the pain, which gives pain the victory. And then we're going to look at five ways in the Word of God that He wants us to respond to pain. So we can kick through that pain barrier. Do you know, we're living in a generation that has the ability to block out pain like no other generation before us. Now, when I think about physical pain blockers, sometimes I'm quite pleased about that. I think it's a good thing. I have a daughter who has decided she wants to be a dentist. Now, I don't know if that's a good thing. I keep thinking about my dentist bills, and I think maybe that's a good thing to have a daughter who's a dentist. But then I think about my daughter coming at me with an injection and a drill, and I'm not so sure whether I'm that keen on her pursuing that career. But I'm going to tell particularly you young people tonight, you're going to think I'm like something around 60 by the time I'm finished with this story. Because you are not going to believe that somebody as young as me lived in the days where kids were expected to suffer 
the pain at the dental clinic. Some of you people my age and beyond are going, yeah, I remember that. Believe it or not, when I was at Intermediate, I remember getting my very first filling. And I rocked up there like every other time, having no idea what was going to hit me. And I went into that dental clinic and I lay back on the chair and do you remember those butterflies? Yeah, I lay back in the chair. I looked at all the butterflies. And as I looked at the butterflies, she's picking away in there. And she says, oh, there's a little catch on that one. Now, I, I'm wise now. I know what that means. But I had no idea what was coming. She said, there's a little catch on that one. I think we should fill it. Said, sure, go ahead. Well, you know how, like, all around the dentist clinic, they have these pictures of teeth? And they show the enamel, and then there's like this little root underneath, and there's a little nerve inside. I'm going to tell you tonight, my nerves go all the way down to my toes, because I felt that drill. It was incredible. But you know, sometime later, actually I remember while I was sitting there, thinking to myself, does my mother know what this crazy woman is doing to me? Because this just doesn't seem right. But some years later, when I hit university... By then, uh, this wonderful thing called an injection had been developed. But do you know, even when I needed fillings at uni, I said, oh, no, I don't need that. Because somebody, some cruel person had told me the injection was at least as painful as the drill itself. And so I decided, oh, well, I'll be a martyr and I'll just have the filling. Go ahead, do your thing. But do you know what? Now they have this fantastic stuff called anesthetic gel. And this is what they do. They they just rub this gel on. It's like really nice. And they just say, oh, just lax out there. I'll come back to you. So they're fiddling in the background. I'm just laxed out in the chair. And when you can't say my mother lives in Mississippi without making a fool of yourself and dribbling everywhere, they figure you're ready for the injection. So in goes the injection, you feel nothing, and it's fantastic. Praise God for anesthetic. I'm so happy about that. But do you know what the worst thing is for our generation? We may have the technology to block out physical pain like no other generation But there is a degree of emotional pain in every one of our lives here tonight. And it cannot, I know because I've tried, it cannot be fixed by some man-made anesthetic. At a younger and younger age, our generation is looking at ways that they can synthetically block out that pain. Binge drinking see it all the time, smoking marijuana, taking E and P. Some people as young as, I, I had a friend from the States come back and she'd stayed with her sister and she said, my nephew is nine years old and his gymnastics coach said to him, you're getting a bit flabby for this boy. He's now under psychiatric care for anorexia. A nine-year-old boy, I saw photos of him, Man, they made me cringe. And every meal he, he takes, he says, is this going to make me fat, mum? Because of the pain of the words spoken by a gym coach. We're trying to block out pain with cutting ourselves, with sexual relationships, with jump and charge and rapture, herbal parties. 
Well, I'm here to tell you tonight there is no man-made solution because we live in a broken world, and that's a fact. There is a devil out there. Do you believe me? There is a devil out there, and he wants to destroy every one of our lives, and he will use pain in our hearts to do it. But there is also a God that I want to declare tonight. There is a God who is prepared to meet us right where we're at. There is a God who wants to teach us how we can break through the pain barrier in our lives so we can be used for his glory. Amen. So no matter who you are and no matter how you might be feeling tonight, if you're a person living on this planet, there's one sure thing. You're going to experience pain. Pain happens. But for us as believers here tonight, we know that if we can push through that pain, that God can use us for his bigger plan. And when something painful comes our way, it's my hope that tonight I will drop some keys from the word of God into your hands so that you can make the right response to that pain. So like that marathon runner that hits the wall, you don't give up, but you push and push and push through. Come on, give it up for God. Woo! Turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 16. Okay, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. Now some of you don't know how the chapter goes on and thinking, what has a maidservant called Hagar got to do with Sarai having no children? I want to tell you, here is a woman called Sarai whose husband has been told by God, not by man, but told by God, he would have a son and that his descendants would, uh, would be so many that they would even outnumber the stars and you couldn't count them. Now to you and I, when we read that, that might sound like really nice poetry, but to Sarai, that's no poetry. To Sarai, her faith was dependent on that word coming to pass. She was one old chick. She was really, really old, and it seemed impossible. But surely if God said it would be, then it would be, right? Can you begin to imagine the pressure Sarai was feeling? Huge amount of pressure, because it was kind of all up to her. It was her body that needed to conceive, God had promised a son and the years were ticking by. Not only had her body failed, but for Sarai, she had failed, right? Would you feel like that? If your body hadn't done something to make something happen, then you're going to begin to feel like you just so failed. I don't know about you, but I know the pain of failure. I think most of us in this place do. Maybe God's promised you something that seemed impossible years ago and time is ticking by and you're wondering where is God and what is he doing and I can't see any sign of breakthrough. So here's Sarai and she's pained in her situation and she's desperate to do anything to relieve that pain. So let's see what she does. Verse 
The first thing that she does is impatience. This is her first response. She is impatient. I want to tell you tonight that pain can make us impatient. It can make us impatient with God and it can make us impatient with people. The only problem with being impatient is that it usually causes us to place the outcome of a situation in our own hands and take it out of God's. And one thing I've discovered is that God's ways are a whole lot smarter than mine. So let's read on in verse 2. So Sarai said to Abram, remember she's impatient. She's got no children. Here's her second response. So Sarai said to Abram, Now see the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Get this. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. Now that's a strategy for you. And Abraham heeded the voice of Sarai. It was a tough job, but someone had to do it. He did what his wife asked him to do. I'm glad you like that. Verse 3, then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, who made the Egyptian. I think they put that Egyptian bit in there because Egyptian chicks are quite good looking. And gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife after Abraham had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. The second response that Sarai made, which is a wrong response to pain, is self-reliance. Pain can make us look to our own solutions instead of God's. Sarai decided enough is enough. I reckon if Brian Tamaki was around there, she'd have had the t-shirt on. Do you reckon? Enough is enough. I have waited for this promise long enough and I will wait no longer. So she figures she can fix this whole thing her own way. Do you know, I don't take this lightly because I don't think it was an easy thing for Sarai to do. This was her husband that she loved and had spent all those years with. This was her husband that she was so devoted to. And now she says to him, sleep with the maid. Well, you've got to picture this, the maid, the, the housekeeper, the chick that cleans the toilet floors. This is how desperate Sarai is. Sleep with her and maybe then I shall obtain children. What was she thinking? What was she thinking? By taking her life into her own hands, Sarai came up with a solution that might have looked all right on the outside, but caused her much more pain on the inside. Don't we so do that sometimes when we're faced with pain? We want a quick fix, and we'll do whatever we can to make it look all right to everybody else, to make it look all right on the outside. And we just make more pain for ourselves on the inside. It's one thing I've learned about the years and years and years that I've worked with people in pain. They don't always make the right choices. Sometimes their actions do increase their pain. And do you want to know why that is? Because every time we take our lives into our own hands, we do a three-letter word called sin. And that sin separates us from God, separates us from his power. 
So what hope have we got when we're sinning and we're separated from God and all that he has for us? You know, one thing about sin is it often provides short-term pleasure or short-term relief, but long, 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 long long-term pain. I know that. I live with a chocoholic. There are two chocoholics in this church that I know of, both of them in quite senior leadership too. Not looking at anyone. I live with a chocoholic. I know a moment on the lips is a lifetime on the hips. So that's what sin is like. When you rely on your own ways to fix your problems, remember that. A moment on the lips. Your own solution will be a lifetime trying to work it off. So let's go to verse 4. So he went into Hagar. Remember, she's been impatient and she's relied on herself. And now Abram's going into Hagar because it was a hard job and someone had to do it. And she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress, Sarai, became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. I'm like, what? What am I reading here? This chick is nutting off. She says, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. Can you believe where this chick is getting off? All of a sudden, it's all about her. And when it's all about us, guess what response we call that? Response number three, pride. It became all about her. Pride can, uh, pain rather, can make us blame others. Wasn't it Sarai's idea in the first place that Abram would get it on with the maid? What is this woman talking about? I really thought this through. See, when we're in pain, it's always convenient to find someone else to blame, right? I do that even when I lose the keys. Reality is Sarai's whole sleep with my husband and get pregnant and everything will be all right idea was not only a dumb idea, but it was her idea and she needed to take responsibility for it. But instead of eating humble pie, instead of saying, I'm so sorry, I lacked faith. Instead of saying, I screwed up big time and I never should have given that maid to you. Sarai turns around and lays a heavy trip on Abram. Now, some of you married men here might be nudging your wives. I hope that's not true. But uh, not only does Sarai blame God because of the increased pain in her life, she's blaming her husband. I just can't believe it. Let's look at the last verse that we're going to look at in this, this chapter. It's in verse 6. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her parent presence. There are two wrong responses that both these women made. So point number four, abusiveness. Pain can make us abusive toward others. There has never been a more true statement in all the years that I've worked than this one. Say, hurting people 
hurt people. Say it again. Hurting people. Hurt people. Sarai was hurting, and so what does she do? She lashes out at Hagar, out of her own pain, so much that Hagar runs away. Do you know, recently I sat and talked with a teenage girl who'd been sent to me to kind of get sorted out. And she was fast developing a reputation as a mean-as bully. And um, bullying is kind of like the big thing in schools that they're trying to get on top of right now. So she'd been sent me to me, and, and I was somehow supposed to help fix it. And this girl, she sat in a chair right across from me. And was she staunch? She was really staunch. As she sat there, she did start to talk, much to my surprise. But you know the other thing she did? She laughed and she laughed. She laughed a lot. But through that laughter, even though it was intimidating for me, it was a real intimidating thing, I knew, God, if we can just push past this, if we can help her, to push past the pain she's causing others. Maybe we'll find out what this is all about. And after a while of talking, I could see the wall begin to come down and come down and come down. And before long, this girl began to talk to me about the beatings she'd been getting at home. She began to talk to me about how alone she felt and how frightened she felt. Because of the beatings she'd taken at home. And I began to realize the only way she knew not to be a victim was to flip the switch and become the abuser. You see, that way she could pretty much guarantee nobody else was going to be beating on her while she was at school. It was her strategy, I guess, to anesthetize that pain. It was her strategy to make the pain go away so she didn't have to face it. But do you know what it got for her? All it got for her was a group of really frightened friends who were only pretty much only her friends because they were terrified of her. And it meant that she had a mean as reputation. And when you've got a mean-ass reputation, it's really hard to have fun when you're at school because you've got to keep up the image. It's got to look right on the outside, no matter what's going on on the inside. So abusiveness is a wrong response to pain because it gives pain the victory over our lives. Point number five, the fifth response, the wrong response to pain is fear. You can see in that, in that verse that... Uh, Hagar fled from Sarai's presence. Pain can make us run. I I love Forrest Gump. I must watch it again. It's years since I saw it. But you know that section where he kind of just gets hairier and hairier because he's running. He's running and he's running and he's running. Hagar ran. She fled not only from Sarai, but she fled with an attitude in her heart. And that was the thing that caused her the most pain. Hagar despised Sarai right from the time she became pregnant. She hated Sarai. She was fearful of what the future would hold for her. Yes, Sarai had treated Hagar harshly, 
But the fact was, she did remain pregnant with Abram's child, and those consequences she would have to face for the rest of her life, and in fact all the generations to follow, would have to face the consequence of that as well. You see, reality is when we respond wrongly to pain, there are long-term consequences. This morning we learned about how Adam and Eve hid because of their shame. We also see how we hide because we're afraid. See, some of us run from the pain of family problems by hiding in our work. We become workaholics and work becomes the focus and center of our lives. Do you know you can even, you can even hide in success? You can hide in your worldly success because everything looks good on the outside, but you're hurting and in pain on the inside. Sometimes we hide because we're trying to be like someone else because we're too afraid and too ashamed to be who we are. And I hope in this place after this morning that we can all stand confidently and know who we are and not hide in being someone else. I want to tell you tonight that you can choose between being broken by the pain or breaking through the pain. We've seen five ways that you can be broken. I want you now to to see what I've got to say about five ways that you can break through the pain barrier. Do you want to hear that tonight? Come on. Okay, let's have a look at them. Let's um, have a look at James. James 1 verses 2 to 4. My brethren, I count it all joy. Don't you love that? I count it all joy. Has this guy got rocks in his head or what? I count it all joy when you fall into various trials. What are various trials? What do they cause us? They cause us pain. He's talking about pain here. He says, count it all joy when you're in pain, people, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. That patience word is something that so grates on my soul. (laughs) But it's in the word of God, so I'm chewing on it. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now that's the bit that I like. That's the God perspective. He wants us to lack nothing in our lives. That's his eternal promise for us, that we will lack nothing. So the first thing that God wants us to do to break through the pain barrier is to have patience. God uses pain. He uses it to test our faith and to produce patience. I looked up that word patient. It's an interesting word. Do you know what it meant? Apart from perseverance and endurance and all of that, The word patience means slowly avenging wrongs. So if you have a situation where everything around you seems like it's going wrong, do you know what God wants you to do in the midst of that when it's causing you grief and nothing's going right? He says, don't be tempted to rush into doing something, anything, 
to relieve the pain. He says, go slow. He says, take it slowly when you're in the face of everything going wrong because that's when I'll work with you in the process. You see, as people, we want the end result. We want to be without pain. But God says, I will use that pain to work a process in you. That is what's going to make a difference in your life. You know, that doesn't come easy to our generation either, does it? I was thinking about all the times I lack patience. Do you know, sometimes I hang around the microwave when it's got those two-minute noodles in, and I'm going like, (sighs) come on, Danny, you've done it. (laughs) I'm sure you've done it. Two minutes, for goodness sake. And I'm standing there looking at the microwave as if that's going to rush the thing up any quicker. And how many of you have been to McDonald's? This one really irks me. I go to McDonald's because it's a fast food chain, right? You get there, you look at the, oh, yeah, I'll have that one. You get there and they take, you know, the whole order and everything. And then they say, oh, there'll be one and a half minutes wait on that burger. I'm just like, oh, I came here for fast food. And, and then they usually say, you know, would you like to order something else? How many of you have ordered something else because you didn't want to wait a minute and a half for your burger? I know I'm not the only one. So patience is something God wants us to work into our lives. Here's the second key to breaking through your pain. It's God-reliance. Remember how Sarai had reliance on a self-sin? God wants us to rely on him. Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 6. I love this scripture. And in the Living Bible, it really comes alive for me. It says, trust the Lord completely. What's completely mean? The whole thing, everything. Trust him completely. Don't ever trust yourself. In everything you do, put God first. And he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. Who wants their efforts crowned with success tonight? <laughs> Woohoo! I love it. It shows us, you know, that God knows we do dumb things. He says, don't ever trust yourself. God put that there for me. He might have put it there for you too, but he put it there for me because he knows Kalinda does dumb things sometimes. So he says, oh, I know you do dumb things, so I better spell it out. Don't ever trust yourself, Kalinda. He says, especially when you're hurting on the inside. See, he knows that we long for success and we hate the pain of failure, right? I hate it. I hate it when I fail. So he's provided a way for us to find success right in the midst of our pain. What a funny place to find success. If only we will allow him to be the center or the focus of our lives. Did you know there are two groups of people in life? Um, This is gadget people anyway. For gadget people, there's two groups. There's one group who buys gadgets and never, ever read the instruction manual. They rip that thing out of the box and they fiddle with it for hours, right? They fiddle and fiddle and fiddle, and it doesn't matter if they can't make that thing work. It's a sign of failure to look up the instruction manual, right? So they just, they just, I'll work this thing out no matter what. So they never, ever, ever refer to the instruction manual. It's kind of like the last call. 
And then there is a second group of people, another group of gadget people, that um, will open the box only just enough to get that manual out, and they resist the urge to remove the packaging and the plastic and uh, those polystyrene things and all of that. They resist the urge to do that until they have read that manual from the beginning to the end, right? There are two, those two groups are represented in my house and I will leave it up to you to decide which one am I and which one is Pastor Doug. I'll have to swear him to secrecy. My point is this. Get it out straight away. No way. My point's this. God created us. And he knows everything about how we function. He also wrote a manual for us to live by. And it's called the Holy Bible. Do you know what the word holy means? The word holy means perfect. This is the perfect manual for us. It knows how we function. It knows what to do when there's a glitch with the gadget called us on this planet. And I really praise God for that. If we put God, get this, if we put God and his word first, in our lives, he can bring success. He will bring victory over pain, and we will break through that pain barrier. Amen. This is the third thing. The third thing is humility. There's some owie words in this, isn't there? Like patience, humility. Humility is one of my owie words. God lifts the humble above their pain. Luke 14, 11 says this, For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Humility is an attitude of respect toward God and toward others. It's not about being so arrogant that you consider yourself more important than others, even the people who are causing you pain. If you think you're more important than the person that's causing you pain, baby, you've got it wrong, and that's pride. God wants us to have humility. God likes it when we stop pointing the finger at other people. We have to take time to remember that we are all sinners. We have all failed in so many ways and need to know the grace of God to forgive us for the pain that we've caused other people. There's not one person in this place that hasn't caused someone else some degree of pain. God promises us that he will lift us up if we are willing to accept responsibility for our part of the mess that we've usually got ourselves into. A humble person is ultimately willing to submit to God and to his will in all circumstances. So what have we got? We've got patience. We've got God, reliance, and humility. This is number four, gentleness. God wants us to be as gentle with others as he is with us. Many of you, as you stood on this altar this morning, experienced the gentleness of God as he removed the shame from your life and clothed you with righteousness. 
Yes, sometimes God gets fired up for sure, but his spirit is also gentle. James 3.17, again in the Living Bible, says this, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure and full of quiet gentleness. Then it is peace-loving and courteous. It allows discussion. Get that. All the wives are underlining that bit in their Bibles. It allows discussion and is willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and good deeds. It is wholehearted and straightforward and sincere. I want you to think about the last time you were agonizing over a painful issue that involved another person. Were your thoughts towards that person pure? Was your spirit full of gentle kindness? Did you resist the urge to flat out run that person down in front of someone else? Did you stop having your say long enough? Now, I'm going to say that again. Did you stop having your say long enough to listen to the other person and to discover how you added to the pain that they felt? Did you honestly open up your heart before them with no hidden agendas and no wrong motives? And God's way is so much wiser than ours, eh? He knows that when we get fired up on all cylinders, mate, you want to see me fired up on all cylinders when I'm in pain. It looks real good. <laughs> but God knows when I am fired up on all cylinders in the middle of some painful chaos, it only makes matters worse. It usually makes things far worse for us and far worse for the other people. So I don't know why we do it, but it's called sin and we just seem to. He knows that being gentle is preferable to treating one another harshly. Is that right? Here's my last point tonight, and it's this. It's courage. God wants us to use courage to break through the pain barrier in our lives. He is the source of our courage. To live in a world where pain is guaranteed, people, it's guaranteed. Check this out. John 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have my peace. In the world you will. Does that say you might? You could, you will have tribulation. You will have pain. But, I love all the buts in the Bible. I kind of like go all ballistic with my pen around them. But, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Yes, it is inevitable. It's a sure thing that we're going to face struggles. But Jesus says, be of good cheer. Do you know, some Bibles say, have courage or take heart. To have courage is to have enough strength to stand in the face of that pain. That marathon runner must stand, well, preferably move because he's in a marathon, but must stand in front of that wall and find the courage to push through it or the pain will defeat him. It's just the same for us. We must Find the courage. 
But it's not all up to us because God promises that he'll never leave us to face our pain alone. He doesn't abandon us to our struggles and say, I'll catch you on the other side. He's sent his Holy Spirit to be right with us. If we remember that the ultimate victory has already been won, we can claim the peace of Christ in every situation. Do you know, I remember being totally sold out to God as a, um, as a young Christian. And there was a church group that met here. And we called ourselves the Swanks, which stood for single women and no kids. So I was in the Swanks. And uh, it wasn't really a very flattering name, but that's what we were. So I was one of the Swanks, and somebody decided that it would be a really awesome thing for us to go whitewater rafting. Now, I'm not a strong swimmer. In fact, I was reasonably fearful of the water. But I thought, hey, this is a new life. You put on the new thing and get rid of the old. And I'm going I'm to make this thing happen. So here goes Kalinda, Saturday morning, up the Mohaka River. Now, who knows that this rain has just gone on for days and days and days. We had blue skies yesterday. It's back again today. We had a week just like it just like it. We rock up there on Saturday morning and our experienced guides kind of look us up and down, figure that none of us are uh, serious rafters. And he says this, quite sort of, you, you were on that trip, Joy, weren't you? You were on that trip. Do you remember that guy looking at us and saying, you are going to have to follow my instructions carefully. Several times he said that. And we're like, why? He says, follow my instructions carefully because the river is, quote unquote, a little flooded. Now, for those of you who know anything about whitewater rafting, that meant that a grade two whitewater rafting trip suddenly becomes a grade five whitewater rafting trip And for those of you who know nothing about rafting, that meant basically a reasonably safe tukitu down the river with a wee, you know, every now and then, suddenly turned into hold on for dear life, pray like you've never prayed before. There are big holes that could suck you into them and you might never come out again. So there I was. Believe me, there I was up the Mohaka thinking, oh my God, literally, I so need you. I needed to face my fear on that trip. It took so much courage. It took courage because I had to push through the physical thing. I had this physical fear of the water. But I also had to push through that, that spiritual and emotional thing, to find the strength to stand in the face of my fear. And I made it. And I fell out too. And I got back in again. But I made it. Was it you, Pastor Joy, who said to me, oh, well, it won't matter. You haven't been baptized. If anyone's going to fall in, it'll probably be you. We'll just pray. And I was, I think, pretty much the only one that fell in. Never mind. So tonight, as I bring this to a close, I want to encourage you that God himself has made a way for us to break through the pain barrier in our lives. 
If there's been a stirring in your heart as I've talked, and you're aware of a barrier, you're aware of a wall of pain that you so need to push through, I want to encourage you tonight that if you just get patience, if you'd rely on God and humble yourself, if you be gentle in your spirit and take courage, you will grow in so many ways that you would never have predicted. You see, sometimes God uses pain to get our attention. Pain can be a warning that we've taken things too far. Can we have the musicians up, please? Thank you. Sometimes pain warns us that we've taken things too far, and if we don't stop, we're going to get a whole lot more hurt. I know that when I had a car accident a couple of years ago and I injured my ankle, I, you know, decide, come on, I can do this and go for a jaunt around the block. I get halfway around there and my foot's going, hello, I'm not ready for this. God uses pain in our hearts in the same way. Pain can grow us. This is the good news. Pain can grow us if we just let it. Acknowledging our pain before God can bring us to our knees more often than we are when we're not in pain. And sometimes I thank God. I know it's a little crazy, but I'll thank him that it's drawing me closer to him. It'll take me deeper in my times of prayer connecting with him. And there's one thing I know for sure as I finish tonight. Romans 8.28 says, We know that all things, all things, say all things, including my pain, All things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Amen. I just want to ask for every eye to be closed and every head bowed in this place tonight. I want to ask you something very important. Maybe someone brought you along tonight. And maybe you don't know what it is to have the power of God help you to break through something. There's a really common saying in life. Life's a bleep and then you die. I want to tell you that as Christians, we don't believe that. I want to tell you that no matter what pain we're facing in this world, as believers of Jesus Christ, we know that we will spend an eternity without pain and without tears. There's only one way to find that assurance. And it's acknowledging Jesus Christ. He died for you. He took your pain in his own body. And I just want to ask and give you an opportunity tonight, if there's anyone here, and you're saying, Kalinda, I'm in pain, and I need to know you, God. I need to know God personally so that he can help me break through. Would you raise your hand? so I can see you. If you're saying enough is enough, enough is enough of this pain, I want to to do things God's way. I've had enough of doing it my own way. Just raise your hand so I can see it right now. I'd love to pray with you. Thank you, Jesus.
I'm going to do just one more thing tonight. If God has spoken to you and you want to come up here to the front, I want to encourage you to come and meet with them. Because God's anointing is here tonight to break through. A breakthrough anointing is here. So you can push through the pain. You don't have to be a runner who goes home in defeat. I want to encourage you to come just as the band plays. Come up the front. Maybe you need to lay down your fears. Come on, take the first step of courage. Come and stand before him tonight. I'll stand with you. We'll just pray that that anointing, that breakthrough anointing will come in Jesus' name. And all of my strength is found.